0: When I became involved in mission for the first time, it was basically because of my wife. I had a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of misconceptions. I just, we got married in December of of 1982 and the summer of 1983, six months later, we went to Japan for two years as short-term missionaries. I was clueless. I still am amazed that they sent me. (laughs) But apparently my wife had such a great reputation that I just went on her coattails but those two years changed me completely. I learned about this church that I wasn't even a member of when I was there as a covenant short-term missionary. This evangelical covenant church that started in in 1885. A bunch of small churches that were already engaged locally and globally, but they said, you know what? We're already doing mission, but think what greater things we can do for God and his kingdom if we join together and together reach out around the world. And that was the beginning of the Evangelical Covenant Church. But you know, it wasn't called that at that time. Does anyone know what it was called? Mission Friends. We have been a church that's all about mission. In fact, the church exists for mission. You know, the the church is the one organization, and this may be a little shocking to hear, the one organization that doesn't exist for itself. We're not a club. We exist for everyone out there. That's why we're here. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a larger church, about 875 of us around the United States and Canada, that have committed to carry on this joining together with God in his mission. By the way, I want to keep talking about God's mission, because if we're not careful, it becomes our mission. That was one of the lessons I had to learn as a missionary. It's not about me. It's not my mission. It's God's mission. And we get to join with him. I have a little pointer here. Oh, wait. It has to be on. (laughs) I want to thank Simi Covenant Church for the way that you've joined just in the last year, in part of God's mission, through something that, was called, that is called Project Blue. We started Project Blue a little over a year ago at Chick. Now, I've heard that there were some students from CME Covenant Church that actually went to Chick, and we had a major focus on the need for accessing clean water around the world. You know, Nearly one in 10 people in the world don't have access to clean water. And I travel constantly to various places, and it is heartbreaking to go to community after community where it's always women and girls, almost always women and girls, who have the responsibility of daily, often making multiple trips, carrying jugs to the water source, which is often a, a polluted water source. Through providing access to clean water, Women have more time to do other things. The family's health is improved. Young girls are able to go to school instead of having to make those multiple trips. I believe that just providing water is more than just giving someone a drink. It's part of the life-changing transformation in the holistic gospel, the kingdom gospel, that Jesus came and proclaimed to us. So thank you for being a part of that. Covenant World Relief has relief in its name and sometimes people think our main focus is on emergencies because especially when there's a large disaster, maybe in your church you've even heard about, you know, somebody saying give to Covenant World Relief. Most recently, Louisiana. Big flooding there. We don't hear much about it right now, right? But do you know that there will be, it will be months and years in recovery. And we're working together with our Love, Mercy, Do Justice uh, Co-workers continuing to respond and will be responding in Louisiana. Also Flint, Michigan. We're also continuing to work in Ecuador after the earthquake this last spring. Do you know that we're still working in Japan? (laughs) Because of the tsunami of March 11th of 2011, that's five and a half years ago. There are still tens of thousands of people who are living in temporary shelters in Japan. We usually don't hear about it but the church wants to stay when everybody else leaves. Thank you for being a part of that. But you know, when the disaster happens and there is that time for immediate relief, when that relief period hopefully is as short as possible, we can begin helping people move towards recovery. And then what we really long for is to focus on long-term transformational development. What do I mean by this transformation? I mean that God is at work in our insides and our outsides, changing us. So what I'm really saying, when when we're about ministry of long-term development, we're talking about all of us. Because this is what it means to follow Jesus. To be walking this journey where Jesus keeps changing us. So that people involved in mission themselves You can listen to story after story, and I'm sure there would be many testimonies in this room. It's through that engagement in God's mission that he transforms us as well as the people we're working with. So because of the generosity of covenanters at churches, like Simi Valley, actually the video is several months old, so we've updated. We were actually in the last year engaged in 82 different projects, both disaster and long-term development in 31 countries we're able to do that why because we're part of this group called the Evangelical Covenant Church where individuals and churches join together enabling us to work with local partners and we've got some amazing local partners around the world so that with our local partners who are obviously when it's a local partner you don't have to worry about things like language understanding culture they have the networks, and we make sure they have the expertise. Today I will be re- referring to a few of the programs, but I would really ask that you consider staying after and going to Fellowship Hall, where we can go a little bit deeper in some of the programs going on around the world. I would also like to ask, and this might be its a bit of a risk some people just to see this gasp, but I don't know if, if there's a rule about taking the phone out of your pocket during church. but. We're going to suspend that rule. Please take out your phone. See, I think Covenant World Relief, I'm in my eighth year as director. I think it's still one of the best kept secrets in our denomination. I think the challenge is on me and my coworker. By the way, do you know that we're able to do all this with two staff people? People say, how can you do that? That's impossible. It's not impossible because we have these amazing organizations that were referred to in the video that we get to work with around the world. We also have a lot of covenant missionaries that are working with us in many places. What I'd like you to do is go to Facebook and type in covenant world relief. You'll see what's the photo that... See how fast the people are. What's the photo that comes up? The very first photo. Water, there's also the children. These are, these are children in Haiti who are part of communities, these small communities that, that um, as we went around, they're focusing on education and other development, but as I had a chance to sit down and talk with some of the, the, the women in the villages, I, out of the, six, uh, the five villages I visited, I said, what's your number one challenge? They said, water. If you go down, you'll see the, very, the most recent post is another video that we will see after the p- program. It's very short. It's a video of some very short stories. What I'd like you to do, those of you that actually were able to do this, I realize that some people don't do Facebook, some people maybe not have their phone, but just hit like on that. And so what that will mean then is slowly you'll start getting notified. Three or four times a week, there will be a little post, you can just skip it, You don't have to look at all of them, but it'll give you little updates about what's going on with Covenant World Relief. I'd also like to say that on the back, there's a table, or out in the entryway, there's a table, and on that table are some materials. Take whatever you'd like, but this is my one ask for you this morning, for this morning, and that is to sign your name. All you're doing by signing your name is saying, if you're putting down your email address, Once every three months, you'll get an email that's just an update because that's their biggest issue is people don't know about what's going on. All of these projects, all these things going around the world, we have to keep people informed. So, sign your name. If you put your physical address, you'll get a printed newsletter, otherwise you'll get an email update. It's your choice. Obviously, in the long term, the email is the best way because it saves us on postage and printing but there are some people that just don't do email or they don't like it, so please don't hesitate to put your postal address down. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in just a minute, but before then, I'd like to pray. Father, as we come and gather here today, we stand humbly before you, recognizing that you not only love us, we love the whole world. We're thankful for John 3:16. For God so loved the world. We're thankful, God, that you are active everywhere. That even though people use the term God-forsaken place, it's a lie. There is no God-forsaken place in this world. God thanks that we get to be a part of this. And so today, as we talk about this passage, about blind Bartimaeus and, 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 and being able to see. We pray, God, that even today you would continue the healing process, opening our eyes, helping us to see. We look forward to the great things that you will do in these next few minutes in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I read this passage, several of you in this room, especially if you've grown up in the church, you've read this passage or heard it multiple times. If you fit into that category, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and listen to it afresh. I want you to think about a setting. Now, Jericho is not that far from Jerusalem, but it's way down. And it's uh, a dusty road. It's it's a place where today, it's part of the, the West Bank, where Palestinians are living. And Jerusalem is where the Jews are living. At that time... You know, there were Samaritans in that area. But there were all kinds of people. And Jesus just happened to be coming to Jericho. So let's, as I read this passage from Mark 10, 46 through 52, again, if you've you've heard it a lot, please close your eyes and listen to it afresh. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Amazing little short story that fits so well with little kids in Sunday school. But you know what? I think it's powerful. Because you see, here's the setting where where Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem. By the way, this is near getting towards the end of Mark. Does anyone know why Jesus would be going to Jerusalem? It's not a shopping trip, I'll tell you that. Where where was he going? This was the big trip. He was going to die. He knew it. He'd been trying to tell his followers that the Son of Man was going to be, uh, suffer persecution and, and be crucified. They didn't get it. So he's on his way. This, man, this is on his mind. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, who has all of this on his shoulders, and they're going towards Jerusalem. And there's a big crowd. And along the way, a blind man. Now, I've gone on this road before. It's dusty. And I can just imagine, at that time, lots of blind people, lots of other people with different kinds of issues begging. But there's one man, and notice, besides Jesus, he's the only person named in this passage. Nobody else. And for that time, though, the ironic thing is that he had no value or worth. He was just a blind beggar sitting by the side of the road. And so he shouts out, he heard it was Jesus coming and he shouts out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's desperation in his voice. He's tired of being humiliated and sitting by the side of the road and begging. But the followers of Jesus, what did they do? What was their response? They rebuked him. But this man was desperate. He wasn't going to give up. And he shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. With those words, everything changed. Remember, Jesus got on his mind, he's moving towards Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to be arrested, knowing he's going to be beaten, knowing that ultimately he's going to be crucified and then rise again. He's taking the sin and shame of the whole world upon himself and one blind beggar by the side of the road is calling out to him and Jesus hears him and says, call him. So they, the followers now, say, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. Isn't this amazing? Just a minute ago, they're telling him to shut up. (coughs) Now they're saying, cheer up. Do you think there's been transformation in their hearts yet? I don't think so. They're just going, okay, you're lucky. He heard you. <laughs> he wants you. Bartimaeus is overjoyed. It says he jumped to his feet. Remember, this is a, this is a blind man. <laughs> Just imagine this man jumping to his feet, throwing off his cloak, and then someone's got to guide him to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus, and the blind man, or, uh, Jesus says this, this question, which boggles my mind, actually, because remember, this is Jesus. <laughs> This is the Son of God, the Messiah. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't it obvious? You know what this shows in Jesus? This shows tremendous respect for the blind man. Dignity. So often, I'm involved in this kind of holistic development, working with the poor, working with the oppressed. And as someone from the West, our first inclination is to go in and try to fix things. We know what's wrong. We know how to to, to handle the problem. We don't go in asking questions. We go in fixing. Here's Jesus. First thing he says, he allows Bartimaeus to tell him about his situation and to express his needs. Amazing. So the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see. And then Jesus says, go. Your faith has healed you. I wish we had the video of this so that we could see this. It's such a short passage. Can you imagine? Here's Bartimaeus who's been forced to beg, forced to humiliate himself, been separated perhaps from his family, sitting by the side of the road. Jesus has given him a whole new start. His eyes have been opened. He can see, which means now he can go back to the community. He can get a job. He can earn a living. He's got a whole new beginning. But notice the very last sentence. It says, immediately he received his sight. And what did he do? He followed Jesus. He said, I'm sticking with this guy. He's the one that changed my life. This is the one that I want to be with. Now, I think Bartimaeus is a tremendous, this whole story is tremendous. But I think Bartimaeus, sometimes it's just, we just look at him in pity and say, oh, he was blind. And isn't it great now that he got to see? I think he should be a model for us. See, Bartimaeus recognized that he couldn't see. And I believe one of the greatest uh, sicknesses of the human race, and we hear about it all the time, is our own blindness. We don't see the world the way God sees the world. We see it in a very selfish way. We see it in ways that, that, uh, we, we, that we kind of have fences and boundaries. And, and we don't see people in different places and in different communities quite the way God sees And I believe that's part of this transformation that God is doing in us. He's taking the scales away from our eyes as we allow him to heal us. And I believe that as followers of Jesus, our prayer should be the same as Bartimaeus's: Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Help me to see. Now, being involved in this mission of the covenant called Covenant World Relief, and working with these amazing partners. I could go on and on, but we only have a few minutes left, so I'm just going to introduce um, a few people. Actually, before that, I wanted to share one brief um, passage from Luke chapter 10. Do you remember? I'm not going to read it. You know the story well. It's a story that's often called the story of the Good Samaritan. You know about the, the, the fact that uh, a man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now it's the opposite direction of the Barnabas story. And he was attacked and left for dead. And the priest comes by. And you know the whole thing about how the Samaritan eventually reaches out to him. But you remember how that story started? The story begins with actually an encounter with Jesus by a person of the law. This young man, this this teacher of the law, comes to Jesus and said, tell me how to inherit eternal life. Jesus' response is brilliant. He didn't give him an answer, did he? He said, you know the law, you tell me. And this man comes up with this amazing answer. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So it's a beautiful answer. It could have ended the encounter there and they could have separated. But the scripture says, wanting to justify himself, the man asked the question. What was the question he asked? Who is my neighbor? Do you realize by asking this question what he's doing? He's saying, Jesus, tell me where it's okay to draw lines. Tell me who I I have to love and who I don't have to love. Tell me where I can build a fence. Tell me who's in and who's out. And Jesus is hearing this and recognizing, well, he knows his Bible well, but he sure doesn't understand it. He doesn't know the kingdom. So he tells this amazing story where the hero becomes the despised Samaritan, the enemy. You remember that Samaritan dresses the wounds of the the man, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn. This is a total stranger, right? He takes out two days' worth of wages, whatever you make in a day, double that, and basically plops it down and says, here's to help this guy. And then the unthinkable, he says, I'm coming back. And whatever the expenses are, I'll cover them. Pretty much he said, here's my credit card. Go ahead and take whatever you need. Jesus said, who is the neighbor in the story? <laughs> and the young man said, the man who showed mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is kingdom love. This is the kingdom at play in the world. We who are in the church, it's so easy for us to to, draw, to to keep separate from the world, to keep separate from people that we, we don't think alike, look alike, talk alike, act alike. But what God has placed us here to be engaged with all the people that he loves. And like Bartimaeus, we should continue to pray, open our eyes so that we're seeing these people as our brothers and sisters. We're not building fences. We're not drawing lines. We're not saying, you're out and we're in. You're all welcome. Well, I, I get to be around a lot of people. And some of them they're very, have very different ways of, uh, of uh, culture. They look a lot different. They act a lot different. They have different religions. But because of God's transforming work in my life, I'm able to look and say, He's one of us. She's one of us. They're a part of us. So this, when we talk about the question, who is my neighbor, it's no longer the person down the street only. Yes, it is. It could be the, per- the person next door who, who is a, a refugee or an immigrant from a very different place in the world, and, and they have very different ways of thinking and seeing the world. They are our neighbors. But Right now, in Lebanon, I was just there. I'll show you pictures in a minute there are 1.5 million Syrian refugees in a country that has a population of just over 4 million people. Can you imagine the influx, the effect on that country? If we were to have a similar amount of sudden kind of immigration, it would mean somewhere, I did the math, somewhere around 70 million people coming into the United States. Pastor Simon is has been the leader of the Evangelical Covenant Church of, of Kenya. Pastor Simon is an entrepreneur. He's a visionary. He's a missionary. He loves people. About eight years ago, there were uh, about 250 Congolese refugees from eastern Congo that showed up at his church, the Ketangela Covenant Church. Basically, they said... Um, We're desperate. We need help. And you know what? This church had about 50 members. It was a cinder block church. All the people were poor. They didn't have resources. But these people didn't have papers. The natural thing was, whoa, 250 of you, 50 of us, sorry, were overwhelmed. You know what Pastor Simon's response was? Welcome. You're part of us. You're one of us. And what's amazing is that over the years, these people who came... By the way, as they told their stories, many of them died along the way. They were a ragtag group of people. But they've been incorporated now into the church. And you know that, that church that used to be 100% Kenyan and 50 is now a church of 550 and is 60% Congolese refugees. Now, how did that all happen? Well, obviously it was God. <laughs> but we in the United States and Canada got to be involved through Covenant World Mission, through Covenant World Relief. We were able to support, provide support. And we're, we just sent some funds the other day for some of these young kids who are in school that need help in their education. These are more of the Congolese children. In Monterrey, Mexico, as you know, northern Mexico was quite a dangerous place, especially a few years ago. Things have, have calmed down a bit. But there's an organization there called the, the fam- Family Foundation. And the Family Foundation, when things got really rough, there was talk about, should we close down? Because in the neighborhood they are, there's drug cartels up in those hills, called cerros And there was a lot of organizations that shuttered, stores that shuttered. It's too dangerous. Basically, what the leadership of the Family Development Foundation said looked up and said, you're part of us. And they've been engaged in ministry. And to see the kind of community development that they've been doing with young people, especially with young people and women, with a later focus on men, it's changing the community. Because even though there might have been some unease, some discomfort, they said, these, were, these people are part of us. And what's amazing is that as these young people are being trained and equipped, They're now becoming leaders in the foundation. You know, I went um, on one of my last trips that I went, I I, they had the whole staff. Staff means full-time, part-time, and volunteers. And there were about two dozen people. And all but about two were from the local community. These are people who had been raised up now and were now leading. What an amazing neighbor ministry. I said I was in Lebanon in July. And with all of these refugees, 1.5 million, many of them coming into the Bekaa Valley. Those of you who know your Bibles know the importance of the Bekaa Valley in scripture. They're all Sunni Muslims, pretty much, 99%. Many of the people in the valley, some are Muslim, but it's a large Christian population in that area, in Lebanon. And the easiest thing would have been, no, we got to, we got, oh, I'll say it, we got to build a wall. <laughs> they didn't. You know, these people have come in, and the organization that we're working with, it's actually a U.S.-based organization, but those that are actually leading are Lebanese themselves, and they're involved in in caring for the refugees who come in. Christians caring for Muslims. Wow. Who is my neighbor? They're equipping people to be community health volunteers. They're not just doing it. They're equipping the Syrians themselves. So whether they have to stay a long time or they get to go back to Syria soon, they will be equipped to serve their communities wherever they are. The children are getting all kinds of health and other education while they're there. Good neighbors. In India, There's a church called the Hindustani Covenant Church, and with that I'd like to begin to transition because this Hindustani Covenant Church is, in fact, the largest partner of Covenant World Relief, but one of their areas is to focus on the red light district in Pune, which is where their headquarters is. Now, it's messy work to get involved in that red light district. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of underworld stuff going on. It's not a very, I mean, I've been down there many times. It's not very clean, neat, orderly. It's chaotic. But, you know, the the Hindustani Covenant Church, God led them to be in relationship with Gongabai. Gongabai had worked there as a commercial sex worker for 15 years. And they came into relationship and helped her come out. You know what's amazing? Through the transformation that's happened in her life, she's now the leader of the work. So she's not going in there as someone who doesn't get it or doesn't understand. She knows she is really a neighbor. (laughs) She knows the people. And so those women that you just saw, these are women who come to the home of hope and are being transformed. And, you know, one of the things that they're doing is they have to figure out how to sustain themselves. And one of the things they're doing is they're making communion wafers. And we have the joy and honor today to be able to partake of the communion wafers that are being made by these women. You know, these women say, we used to sell our flesh for money. Now we have the privilege and honor of making the flesh of Jesus. How big is your neighborhood? I know for myself, I have to keep asking that question. I have to keep... Without noticing it, there's a wall that's being built here, a fence that's being built. Be- These people are being excluded here. I have to keep crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Help me to see. I pray for see me, Covenant Church, that you will be a church that constantly is being healed of vision problems. And you're able to see your, your community in a whole new light the way God sees your community here the local community, but also that you recognize people around the globe who are also your neighbors. Let's pray. God, we are so humbled to stand in your sight that you have allowed us to be your children. You have poured your grace and mercy into us, but you've done it for a reason. You haven't just saved us from sin. You have saved us for being your people being your kingdom people in the world. I pray for Simi Covenant Church as they continue to move forward in mission. I pray that you would help them to be able to see their community in a whole new light, both here locally in, in Simi Valley, but also around the world. Thank you for the good work that has taken place here over the decades, and I pray that you will lead them lead them on into higher and greater areas in participating in your mission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.